yeah, so guys, my name's Phil. I, you'll probably rec kind of recognize the accent. I'm not actually from Northern Ireland. I'm from Perth, um, down the road, but have been in Northern Ireland for the last 13 years. Thank you so much, Jim. Just to say, by the way, before I start, I met Jim a year ago. Um, we've been friendly for a year, and maybe it was my kind of skeptical self but when you meet someone so nice, you kind of think to yourself, is this guy for real? <laughs> or is he, just, is he just, but guys, you are so blessed because he is one of the nicest people I have ever met. Like, yeah. It's kind of a thing now in Northern Ireland. I think you've been over once or twice to Jules' wedding. But anytime someone says, oh, I'm going to St. Andrews or Jim, like, that's it, that's a nice guy, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> But guys, yes, yeah, so I moved over from Perth to Northern Ireland 13 years ago to do a worship internship with the church. Um, when I moved over, I had just given my life to Jesus. I'd been in Perth for a year. Um, I was still hanging around with the same group of people, still getting in a bit of trouble. Um, but I was reading my Bible as well, and I was reading things like Jesus says, you will go on to do better things than I. I was reading about healings, and I was reading what we're looking at today, Luke 5, about the paralyzed guy being healed. And... I thought, if I'm just reading this and not seeing this, then I'm going to get bored pretty quickly. Like, that was just my personality. And uh, I'd heard about this church over in Northern Ireland actually stepping into seeing healings and stepping into the supernatural. And uh, it was a vineyard church. So I thought, right, I'm going to go over for a weekend. I'm going to see if they're weird or not. And then we'll see what happens. Went over for the weekend. And uh, it was weird, for sure. But I was drawn to it. When God does something in a room and it's powerful, people are drawn to it, right? And I was drawn, so within two weeks, I'd packed up, I'd moved to Northern Ireland, didn't have a house, didn't have a job, decided to do an internship. Um, someone gracefully hosted me for two years as I was there. Um, and that was 13 years ago. It was meant to be for a year, and then it was meant to be for two years, and now it's 13 years. I've been married to my lovely wife, Haley for 10 years, and we have a three-year-old son called Judah, who... I'm only 20, by the way, don't, the grey hair and <laughs> everything else, um, so it's, it's great. I, I did this, the worship internship, and I also did something that we run called Encounter School of Mission, and uh, again, I was reading the stuff in the Bible, but I didn't really have a context for, for that. I, I didn't have a context for healing or, or signs and wonders, power evangelism, all that stuff, and uh, I was told to be at this building at nine o'clock on a Tuesday, and maybe I was just naive, but I turned up. I went, I turned up, and they were doing this Encounter School of Mission. And what that was, it was on a Tuesday, we would sit in a room a little bit like this, and there was maybe 15, 20 of us, and we would read the Bible. We would look at prophecy, we would look at words of knowledge, we would look at evangelism, we would look at healing. Mind you, by this point, I'd never prayed for someone outside of a church building, and I'd never really prayed out loud in a church building. And I remember one of the first weeks I was there, I met a guy called Mark Marks. Now, some of you may know Mark Marks. He um, was the founder of a ministry called Healing on the Streets, um, which has gone across the, the globe. So what they would do is they would sit seats out in the town center. They'd put up big crazy banners saying healing, and they would invite people to come and sit in the seats, and they would pray for healing. Now, I turned up on this Tuesday, and this guy was talking about healing, and he started sharing stories of people being healed in the streets of Coleraine and in the UK. And for me, I thought miracles maybe happened in Africa or Asia, but I didn't believe they were happening in the UK. And he starts sharing all these stories. And then he goes, okay, let's go out and put this into practice. And I thought the guy was a bit insane, to be honest with you. Um, but again, I went. And uh, 
It's maybe a long introduction, Jim, but I'm going for it. Um, <laughs> but I went, and as we went outside, Mark says, Phil, you come with me. So I went with Mark, and we saw this guy walking up the street in Coleraine High Street, and he had a, he had a crutch, and he was limping on the left-hand side of his body. And Mark went up to him with me, slowly walking behind him, trying not to be like I was with him. Um, <laughs> went up to this guy. He wasn't a Christian, didn't believe in Jesus, didn't go to church. And we asked him, said, well, can we ask what's wrong with you? We can clearly see that you're, you're in need, you have a, a crutch. And he said, well, I was in a car crash 10 years ago and I'm paralyzed to the left-hand side of my body. I can't feel anything on my left leg from the hip down. And uh, he's kind of dragging his foot along. And Mark said, I'm really sorry to hear that. We believe that God is alive and he's moving and we believe in healing. Can we, can we pray for you? And he's like, no, I, I don't believe in that. I don't want that. And I'll never forget what Mark said next. He said, well, what have you got to lose? You don't believe it, right? And we pray for you and nothing happens. Then you're going to go away thinking you were right. So in those moments, what have you got to lose? And he thought about it and he said, okay, that's fine. So we started to pray for this guy. And then Mark says, Phil, you, you pray. I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. <laughs> you soon start to realize when you follow Jesus, he sometimes takes you into uncomfortable situations. And that certainly was an uncomfortable situation. But we started to pray. And as we started to pray, his face started to change. And the color from his face went, went completely pale. And we asked, what's going on with you? And he said, I can feel blood rush to the back of my leg. I said, is that normal? He says, no, I've never felt anything in the back of my left leg for 10 years. By the time we had finished praying for this guy, he had laid down his crutch in the middle of Coleraine High Street and started running up and down the street. He gave his life to Jesus, is connected into the local church, completely healed from being paralyzed the left-hand side of his body. Now, that changed my life. It really did. It set me on a journey of starting to step out more inviting Jesus and partnering with Jesus and going out into the community and sharing the love of Jesus with the people around us. So that is an introduction of why I am kind of here. Um, but guys, before we kind of jump in and start, uh, can we quickly stand up? I know we've just sat down, but I just feel like we have to, to step in. And uh, if you're new here, we're just going to pray. We're just going to ask God to, to move. Um, and what we would sometimes do in the vineyard, if you've been around for a while, is let's all pretend to wash our hands and then throw them out in front of us and hang them out to dry. And let's just posture our hearts from that place to receive. So, Father, come. Jesus, we love you. We love who you are. We love what you're doing. We thank you for everything that you've done in this building. We thank you for the things that you've done in St. Andrew so far. And this morning, Jesus, we ask for more. We ask for more of you. We just say, Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Jesus, we pray today that you would give us the eyes of Christ, that we would see something different happen. That we would not be content of what we've seen already, but we would be wanting to see more. So Father, we say, come and have your way. Come and have your way. And when I was praying today, and we'll do ministry at the end, and we'll pray for healing at the end, but I just felt the Lord was about to release people from a heaviness that had been set over them. I felt there was a tiredness in the room. 
And I don't know if it's a physical tiredness or if it's just a tiredness of, of, of life in a sense, that there's people here that you just have a weight over your head and it feels like you've just been walking with this weight for so long. And I felt the Lord today was saying, actually, I'm coming to break that off. I'm coming to lift the weight off you. It might feel like a rucksack being lifted off your shoulders. So we're just going to say, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, lift the weight off us. Let us walk in freedom today. No longer would this keep us back, keep us down, Father, but you would lift that weight. It would be like a cloud leaving, that we would see a sun break through, that we would see a light break through. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. There may be even some of you here right now that you just are starting to feel a lightness. You're starting to feel that weight being lifted off you. That's just Jesus. Let it come. Let it come. Yeah. Let it come. Sometimes we can feel awkward in these moments, but actually I feel the Holy Spirit's doing something. So we're going to stay here for one more minute. If that is you and you do feel that weight, then why don't you just say, Jesus, come and lift it off me. Come lift it off. Come and lift it off. The worry, the anxiety, <laughs> the hardships. Let us walk in your freedom today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome, guys, take a, take a seat. So, Jim had mentioned a little bit that we're looking in, back into Luke 5, where you've been kind of journeying through Luke and looking at Luke 5. Um, he'd mentioned that we're going to talk on healing. Um, I'm not specifically going to look at healing today, but we will pray for healing at the end. But as I was preparing the talk, I just felt that the Lord was taking me in a, a slightly different direction. So, if you give me like 20 minutes of grace, that would be amazing. Um, so yeah, so we're looking at the story in Luke 5, verse 17 of the paralyzed man being lowered through the roof and Jesus healing him. Now this story is also recorded in Matthew and Mark, but we're probably all aware of this story or most of us would have heard and read this story before. I don't know about you, but I, I'm a visual kind of thinker, right? And I, I read this story and... Uh, I have to picture it. Have you ever actually pictured what's going on in this story? It's kind of mental, right? <laughs> so let's, let's look at it quickly and then we can jump in. Um, if you've got your Bible, open it up. We're looking at Luke 5 um, and we're going to go from verse 17. And it says this, I'm going to read it in my Scottish Northern Irish accent for you all. It says, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, uh, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house and lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, 
Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you to get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I love this passage because there's so much in it, right? (laughs) There's so much in it. And I could spend about three hours going through this passage, but I've tried to condense a three-hour talk into 20 minutes. But I don't know if you picture this, right? And anyone that's done any public speaking or anyone that's done a sermon before, you can easily get distracted from what's going on in the room, right? If people leave, if you hear a noise over here. So I can't imagine what it was like to be in that room when you're starting to preach. So Jesus is starting to talk, and then all of a sudden, dirt and debris starts to fall from the roof. And you look up, and four wee sweaty faces are peering down (laughs) at you as they start to lower a man in. Like, that's a mental scene, (laughs) right? But you probably would have heard these guys before you saw them as well. Like, what were they saying up there? Like, you heard them rustling around. Like, did they have tools with them? Probably not. Those were clay roofs as well, right? So they must have been hammering pretty hard to get this guy through. It's it's a crazy scene to picture, but I love it. I love it. See, the lesson which Christ was teaching here, and this is my theology bit for you guys, was not that God delights to forgive the repenting sinner. The Jewish theologians knew that from the Old Testament already. They knew that, right? What Christ was teaching was something startlingly new, that he can personally release the man from guilt of sin. If you read in the Old Testament, it gave no priest, prophet, or theologian any such authority, right? They could pronounce in God's name that God would forgive someone, that God would give them forgiveness for their sin, but they could not pronounce forgiveness in their own names. Yet Jesus did. It was something new. It was startling, and it sent shockwaves throughout all the community, right? Usually when Jesus moves, it doesn't just change us, but it changes the people and the community around us. Adam Clark, the British Methodist theologian, states that there is three miracles in this passage. We're we're not really going to look at the miracles today per se, but I just think this is important to look at the story. So the first miracle was this, the forgiveness of sins, that Jesus forgave the man's sins, that he was set free. The second miracle is the discernment of private thoughts, that Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking, and he called them out on it. And the third miracle, well, that was the healing. So I thought this morning, I love miracles, by the way, so I would love to spend time looking at these miracles, but I really felt that the Lord was actually highlighting something to me this morning that I think is for you as a community, or for some people in the room at least. But we're going to stick with this theme of free. We're going to switch it up a little bit. And we're going to look at three types of people that I see in the passage that I also see in community and in churches today. Three types of people that I see in this passage that we also see in community today. And then what we're going to look at after that is three types of things that we should be implementing in our own lives to reach those three people or three types in the community today. 
So I'm excited. As a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, we are called to carry on the ministry of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit today. That's what we're called to do. And just to set this up, this first little bit up, if we're called to continue the work of Jesus and to advance his kingdom here and now, then we have to leave the building, right? If we're to reach people in the community, then we can't stay in the four walls of a church to do it. We have to leave. We have to step into his story that he is writing outside in our communities and our cities. You see, we're not meant to be the best church in the city. We're meant to be the best church for the city. It changes everything about who we are as a church, right? Best church in the city wants people in the building, wants the numbers. There's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think that that's what God is calling us into. We're meant to be churches that are the best church for the city, reaching the needs of the people in our communities, reaching beyond the building, reaching those that are far away. See, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, we bring solutions to the problems that people are facing in our communities today. We introduce the love of Jesus in a culture of hardship and brokenness. The invitation of Jesus was come and follow me. Come and follow me. But you can't actually follow someone without actually moving, right? (laughs) I can't follow without moving. And if I begin to follow Jesus, then he usually takes me into places. We read it all the time. Jesus went to places that people found uncomfortable, that he probably shouldn't have been in. And if you start to follow Jesus, he's going to take you into places and situations that you find uncomfortable, that you necessarily don't think you should be in at those moments. That may look risky to you. And as you step into community, you begin to see many different mentalities and types of people. As you follow Jesus into those situations, you start to see different types of people. And we're going to look at three this morning. And to be honest with you, there's probably some of us in this room, including myself, that fits into one of these three personalities or people types. So the first one is this. The first one that I see in this passage today that we also see in community is people in need. We don't have to step out of the building or we don't have to look far to know that people are in need, right? In our communities today, in our towns today, There are people that are in need, that are hurting, that are struggling. They're in physical pain. They're in emotional pain, financial worries, family worries. There's people in need. Just like the man on the mat in Luke who couldn't walk, there are people in need that look obvious to us. Like like the story I was telling earlier with the guy with the crutch, his need was, was physical and it was obvious. It's tangible. You can see it on them. But there's a lot of people in our communities, there's a lot of people in our church buildings that their need is not so obvious and it's not so visible. And I think, to be fair, at one point in our lives, we've all been in a place of need, right? (laughs) I know I have. It's maybe not been a physical need, but I've struggled. I've had hardships. I've needed help. We are in a time that people are searching for something more than they've ever searched for before. 
We've lived five years of pandemic into financial situations, into a war. The, people that, the things that people have put their hope, their identity, their foundations in have been shaken. And people are searching for more now than they've ever searched for before. Just on a side note, we've looked, I've looked at statistics, but spirituality is on a rise like never before. People are looking for a spiritual experience. They just don't know the love of Jesus. People are looking for that spiritual experience. Well, if we carry the Holy Spirit, then surely as a church, we should be out there introducing them to the love of Jesus, introducing them to the Holy Spirit, our friend. Anyway, sorry. People are searching. Hmm. They have this longing in their hearts that needs to be satisfied. So I'm standing in the church building and it's a Sunday night service. I'm 22 years old at this time. It was last year. <laughs> and uh, I'm standing there and I look at the back of church and there's this guy standing there. He's six foot three and I'm five foot nothing. And he's looking angry. I mean, I look angry, but that's just my Scottishness, I guess, right? <laughs> I, I'm actually quite a nice guy. Not as nice as Jim, but I'm a nice guy. But this guy was looking angry and I felt it in my heart. I felt it in my gut. Go over and speak to him. No, I'm not doing that. That's, that's, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. But before I knew it, my feet started to move. I'm walking up to this guy. I don't know what I'm going to say to him. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know why he's angry, but maybe I'm going to find out, right? <laughs> maybe not going to be pleasant. And I get up to him and I open my mouth. I say very timidly, <clears throat> my name's Phil. I'm part of the community here. Uh, I noticed that you've come in, you're standing at the back. Like, is there anything I can, I can do for you? <coughs> Excuse me. And he starts to share his story. I'm 22 years old at this moment. I have nothing to offer him, nothing to give. I'm just learning and on this journey. And he explains to me that he's a PSNI officer, so a police service of Northern Ireland officer. He's a functioning alcoholic. He'd been signed off work with stress for the last six weeks. And the night before he got a service, his pistol that they take, so in Northern Ireland, you get your service pistol and a, a personal protection weapon. And he took his personal protection weapon, he put the bullets in the gun, took the safety off, pulled it back, cocked it, put it to his head and pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. He checked the gun again, took the bullets out, put it back in, put it back, put it to his head, pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. He put the gun on the, on the floor of his house and he'd left and he'd been walking 24 hours. He then came into the church that Sunday night because he felt drawn to it. And he came and he stood at the back. And he said to me, Phil, I have no hope. I have no hope. Now again, I'm 22 years old at this moment. I don't know what to offer this guy. I don't know what to say to him. He has no hope. So I'm asking God, God, please, please, please give me something. I need something. And I felt the Lord say, I want you to hug this guy and tell them that the Father loves him. God, give me something else. Please, please, please <laughs> give me something else. <laughs> I'm an ex-Royal Marine. I, I left school at 16. I went to the Marines. Uh, yeah, I'm not built to hug people, right? Especially not PSNI officers that are a couple of feet taller than me. I'm not a huggy guy. 
but I felt the Lord tell me to do it. So I was obedient in it. I was obedient. So I said to them, I said, this is going to sound really strange. And it's going to be strange for me and it's going to be strange for you. <laughs> but can I hug you? And he looked at me and went, what? I said, I feel like I need to hug you. And he said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So I hugged him. And as I hugged him, I just told him, like, I just want you to know that the things that you're going through just now, Jesus loves you. Doesn't matter what we've gone through in the past, doesn't matter what we're going through now, that Jesus loves you. That he gave his life for you. That he wants you to walk in freedom and he wants to be the hope in your life. He fell on his knees, put his hands up in the air in that moment and said, Jesus, I need you into my life. He gave his life to Jesus and he still goes to the church today. Jesus intervened. <laughs> it was amazing. But those words always stuck with me, right? Phil, I have no hope. I have no hope. He had tried everything that he could get his hands on. The tangible things. We live in a tangible world, right? So we look for instant gratification. So when he was struggling, what he tried to turn to was the alcohol, was the drugs, was the things that he tried to fill the void and the longing in his heart with, and it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> and he said, Phil, I have no hope. Until he came, until he met Jesus, until he met the true source of hope. There's an overwhelming amount of people out in our community today, like that guy. And what they're saying is, we have no hope. <laughs> we have no hope. I truly think we as the church as followers of Jesus who understand hope, who understand the truth, that our carriers of that hope have to be out there introducing people to the hope that Jesus has for them. The way to see community restoration and transformation is to bring the hope of Jesus to the people that need it the most. Amen. <laughs> the second one is this. People who are quick to assume or judge I've been there, right? I don't mean to be a judgmental person, but I've judged people. I don't agree with what they say. I'm going to judge them. <laughs> they don't believe in what I believe. I'm going to judge them. We live in a culture that's very quick to judge people because they don't agree with who we are, what we say. Just like the Pharisees in that Jesus did something, their first thing was to judge them or to judge him. Do we as a church, are we quick to judge? Are we quicker to judge than love? Sorry, I just threw that question and I have no idea. Have we ever been judged by someone and deemed to be wrong even though we've been in the right? It doesn't feel great, right? We live in a community that loves to judge people. I wonder how many of us have ever had assumptions or judgments of people outside of the church building? I know I used to be like this. I would say something like this. That person that looks like that or lives in that area, they don't want to hear what I have to say. The person that talks like that, they, they, they won't want to stop and chat to me. That person that's doing that stuff, nah, they don't want to hear about the love of Jesus. Or it could be here or different areas 
that wealthy person that's driving that fast car, well, they've got their life sorted out, right? So they're not going to want to hear what I have to give to them. You know, the more that I step out in community, the more that I pray for people, the more that I see it's those that look like they don't want to hear about the love of Jesus that actually want to hear about him the most. (laughs) And sometimes I can let my assumptions and judgment of people stop me from seeing what Jesus truly wants to do. Guys, just a a wee bit for you. Don't let your judgment or assumptions of people stop you from stepping into Jesus' story for your community. Don't let your judgment of people stop you from seeing God move in powerful ways. But guys, you're awesome, so there's no one here that judges or has assumptions, right? (laughs) But there's also probably people out here that have this mindset as well, but instead of judging each other, they probably have this mindset of, actually, let's judge the church. Nothing good comes from the church. Nothing good comes from Christians. I've been hurt. I've been disappointed. I went to church once. They didn't believe me. They didn't want to hear me out. I've been hurt by it. I don't believe in them. And they judge us. And to a degree, probably they're, they're right in some aspects of that. We probably have been too quick to judge people. I call it the Nathaniel mindset, right? Nothing good comes from that place. Nothing good comes from that place. Again, maybe it's time for us as as people of Jesus to to step out into the community and to show people that actually something good can come from the church. Something good can come from God. (laughs) That we're not there to belittle, embarrass, or judge, but we're there to love to encourage and to build people up. That people can leave going, actually, something good does come from that place. We know it, right? We know the truth. The truth has set us free. I've always said this to myself, it's just for me, but if I know the truth and the truth sets me free, then I can't keep that truth to myself. I need to be sharing that with everyone around me. If I carry a solution to the problems that I face or my community is facing, then I can't keep these solutions to myself. And maybe when we step out and we bring those solutions and we bring that truth to people, then their judgmental views of the church and of God are going to shift in the moment. I don't know, but it's maybe worth trying, right? Third one's this, and then I'm going to start getting quicker. People who are preoccupied, this is probably for more inside the church than outside the church, but it strikes me in this story in Luke that the guys tried to get in the back door, right? And they had to go up on the roof because people were facing the wrong way. I'm not saying it was wrong. They were listening to what Jesus was saying at the moment in time, but they had no idea what was going on around them. They had no idea that the miracle that was going to happen was behind them. They were preoccupied. We live in a culture that is preoccupied, that is busy. (laughs) I wonder for us in the church, how often are we preoccupied? We think we're doing the right thing, but we're actually missing what God's doing completely. We get caught, so caught up in doing the right thing or thinking that we're doing the right thing that we miss what God's doing completely. Sometimes it can be a religious mindset. I can be so focused on the tradition, the Sunday gatherings, coming in and doing the things that I've been taught. (laughs) The intellect, which is great. 
don't get me wrong, we need that. But I can become so focused on those things that I miss the opportunity to see Jesus, who is very real and is moving, because I'm so focused on this thing that I'm not open to the other things. Don't become preoccupied by the stuff, by the doing, but let yourself be occupied by the King of Kings. Because when you let yourself be occupied and you live out of that place, you start to see things very differently. How are we doing? We good? Cool. Nice. Right. Here we go. The good stuff. Number one. This is the thing. So then, yeah, if that's the people we see in community that I think it is, what can we take away from this kind of passage quickly that Jesus is modeling to us? What are the things as followers of Jesus we should be implementing in our own lives that we see from this? The first one is this. We need to be a people who carry and understand authority and live from that place of authority. So I wonder who you think of when you think of authority. Maybe it's a politician. Maybe it's a policeman. Maybe it's Big Jimbo here. (laughs) 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 Who do you think of? Maybe it's your boss. The last person you probably think of when you think of authority is you. But I want to tell you this morning that every believer has authority. Maybe you don't see it, maybe you don't feel it, but every believer has kingdom authority. We don't have unlimited authority, that only is Jesus, right? But we have delegated authority. It comes from Christ and belongs to Christ. But he delegates that authority to us in order to advance his kingdom because we start to understand that kingdom advancement does not come through activity but does come through authority. We can do all the stuff and still not see transformation because we don't understand what it is to live in authority. Kingdom advancement comes through authority, not just activity. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus forgives the sins and heals because he has authority. And I'm going to just ruin your whole sermon plan here, but forgive me. We then read in Luke 9, which I'm not going to spend any time on, but he says this, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He then sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Then in Luke 10 with the 72, he says this, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. I love that line. We were talking about that last night, but do not rejoice that the, the demons, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that the Father knows who you are and your name is written in heaven. Have you actually thought about that? <laughs> he knows who I am. He knows you and he loves you and your name is written in heaven. Sorry, anyway. One last passage or point to hopefully pull this together. Hebrews 13 verse 8 tells us this, that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this is pretty simplistic of me, so bear with me. But if the will of Jesus to his disciples back then was to go out to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and he gives us authority, and then we read that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then as a disciple, if we call ourselves disciples today, then surely the will of Jesus in our lives is to do the exact same thing. It's not changed, right? He gives us authority. 
So in order to reach people outside of the building, you need to understand that you have authority. That you carry the solution to those who are in need. <laughs> you carry solution because you carry authority. Second one's this quickly. We need to be people who love. So if we carry authority, that's great. But then we have to be a people that love. The man's friends loved him so much that they knew only an encounter with Jesus would bring complete restoration and transformation. One encounter with Jesus brought transformation and restoration. But it didn't just bring tra transformation for him, it brought transformation to the people around him, right? I mean, what love does it take to carry a guy on a mat to then go into a place and see you can't get to the front so decide to climb a roof, put a hole in the roof, devise a pulley system, and lower the man down so that he encounters Jesus. What love is that? <laughs> they weren't doing it for name or gain. They weren't doing it for the story. They were doing it because they understood one touch from Jesus would bring restoration to that man's life. And they loved him so much that they were willing to risk everything in order to bring him to meet Jesus. It's the same Jesus then. It's the same Jesus today. An encounter with Jesus will change everything. Hmm. It's a selfless act, wasn't it? Love has the power to disarm even the harshest critic. The harshest people that judge. And I feel like, again, not here because this is an awesome place and I love you guys so much. But across the church in the West a little bit, we forgot how to love people well. We've forgotten how to love people well. <laughs> We've moved into that area of judgment rather than love. See, the quickest way to see transformation out there is to create a new sound. We live in a culture of discouragement, hurt, and brokenness. If you start to step out there and start to love people, love people well, to bring a sound of hope, joy, restoration, transformation, people will be drawn to it because it cuts across the grain of culture. <laughs> it does. When you start to love people well, it, it calls out their unique design and destiny over their life. And people are drawn to that. I guarantee you, when you step out there and you just love people, you keep turning up, you will see restoration and transformation. Right. Should I share the story? Should I not share the story? How long have we got, Jimbo? Okay, cool. He's doing that. I remember being in a school one time, and uh, I don't know, maybe I was naive, maybe I was being silly, but we were talking about this exact thing, that Jesus is alive today and that he wants to bring restoration and healing. And I said in front of 40 kids, has anyone here got something that's, that they're in pain or something wrong with their bodies? And this guy puts his hand up and says, yeah, I've torn my ACL and my knee, and it's really sore. So I said, great, let's get you on a seat and we're going to pray for you because we believe that God can heal. And then I said, everyone, if you want to see someone be healed, then sit on this seat. Uh, sorry, come round and watch this guy sitting on the seat. So everyone came round. We were in a classroom of 40 people. And I started to do the, the things that I've been taught, right? The authoritative prayer. I command healing in Jesus' name. Like, me be healed. And then I asked, so did you feel anything? No. No. <laughs> 
oh, okay, well, sometimes we pray again, right? Sometimes the healing comes when we pray a second time. So, Jesus, I pray right now that this knee would be healed. I command restoration, full mobility, ligaments and tendons be healed. Did you feel anything? No. Now, I'm starting to get the vibe of the room, right? 40, 15-year-olds in an RE class, they're starting, this guy's a bit mental. (laughs) This is starting to, yeah, Jesus isn't real, like... And I just felt the Lord tell me, tell him again that he's loved. And I, I felt the Lord say, this man, has, this boy has never had a father figure in his life before. He's never felt the true love of a father. So I was like, okay. I was obedient in it. And I said, look, this is going to sound really strange. I don't mean to embarrass you in front of your class and friends, but I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. He loves you. As soon as I spoke love over his life, his knee was completely healed. 20 people in that classroom gave their life to Jesus that day, including the teacher. (laughs) Third one says very quickly, people who take risks. (laughs) People who take risks. I look at this passage and I see people who are willing to take risks when it comes to encountering Jesus. They had faith that Jesus would help their friend, but that faith required a risk element to it. Their faith required a risk element. When Jesus saw their faith, it says, (laughs) do we have faith right now that we're willing to risk everything to encounter Jesus or to bring someone to encounter Jesus? What if they went onto the roof, they lowered the guy down and nothing happened? What if they lowered him down and Jesus was annoyed at them? (laughs) Right? They didn't know that. They didn't know. I imagine the Pharisees at the end of it weren't very happy with them. They were probably judged for it. And yet they were willing to risk everything for people to encounter, for that one person to encounter Jesus. If you've been around Vineyard long enough, you would have heard something like this. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K because you can't believe, or I don't believe that you can have faith without risk. You have to have the risk element. You have to be a people that risk. So, I think in order to see those who need to be restored or those who are in need restored, to see those who are judged or who judge people redeemed and to see those who are preoccupied step into his story, we have to be followers who know authority, who love people wholeheartedly and who are willing to risk it all to see God move. See, God is a moving, he is moving, he is alive today. He is real and he is looking for people like us to step in and step out into his story that he is writing in the community today. Are you, am I willing to put everything and lay it down to risk it all and to go out and to love people well and bring them into an encounter with the one that loves them? Because it's only him that will satisfy the needs in their hearts.